Welcome to The Block Podcast. I'm Dave Rossington, and I'm an architect living and working in the UK. And this is a podcast about the idea of home. Home can mean so many things, from a single room or space, through to the city or region in which we live. This podcast will tell the stories of the ideas, people, and processes that shape what we think of as home. Thanks for listening. In the UK, when we think of how we pay for our homes, we think of three options. One, private ownership, which is what lots of people aim for, but requires lots of money up front, a steady job, and usually means taking on a big debt. Two, private rental, which can be great, but many experience poor quality homes with insecure tenancies and variable rents. Three, social rental, available to people on lower incomes or with specific needs, but it can be hard to access and there are long waiting lists. But what if there was another option that combined the best aspects of all three? An option that combined the security of ownership with affordability and good quality homes. In this episode, we will hear the story of a group of people in the beautiful city of Brighton who are trying to make that happen. I came to Brighton, I think it's about 30 years ago. This is Martin. He already was living in Brighton. I was born in south of Poland, but I always loved the sea. I remember first time going to the sea. And this is his partner, Aga. And then suddenly I met this boy and he was from, he was living in Brighton. <laughs> so I moved here and here we are. I've lived in Brighton for nine years and I think I've moved probably around seven times. Amy is the editor of a magazine. She's moved from city to city over the years, but wanted to settle in Brighton. In that time, she's experienced a lot of the challenges around private rental accommodation. I've lived in a lot of shared houses. I've also like lived with partners. And currently I live with, yeah, live with my partner in a rented flat. Um, but we have to move in October because the rent is just too expensive. So we just need to, we need to move somewhere cheaper. A lot of my friends have um, left Brighton because it's too expensive, so they've moved to other cities that are cheaper, or they are like moving further out of the city to try and like buy somewhere if they if they want somewhere that's more stable. What brought me to Brighton is um, that um, I met an English boy and he got me pregnant. <laughs> Meet Yelena. I was living in Berlin at the time, and then decided that I'm gonna move to Brighton for a year while having the baby and then we see and then I ended up staying. We lost my partner, the father of my two boys in a car crash like five years ago. So then I became suddenly homeless as a result of everything. Following the loss of her partner, Yelena was provided with emergency accommodation and has since been housed in a flat by the council. But she felt she wanted the support that comes from living with others as she raised her children. I was suddenly like a single parent and the kids were three and six, so it's a very tough situation. I was a bit like, oh, I don't want to be on my own. It's too hard, you know, to do this on my own. And, and then I looked into, like, you know, shared houses or anything. As a family, if, you know, <laughs> there's, no, um, there's not really anything that you can access. Around this time, Martin and Aga were thinking about where they would like to live next. They were living in a privately rented flat with their young child, but they were concerned about mould in the flat and the impact it could have on their health. Years passed and we find ourselves in a very difficult housing situation. We had a small child, she was born in the, in the house and it was a massive issue with the mould. 
you know, I was self-employed, you were self-employed, right? We'd worked in film and I was working in construction at the time and getting a mortgage, I mean, wasn't possible to buy a house anyway in Brighton. They're so expensive, but also didn't have any um, equity for a deposit. But then also getting a mortgage when you're self-employed is very difficult anyway. So um, that wasn't really an option. We were on the housing register, but we had very little chance of being housed by, by the local authority. So no social housing, no private ownership. It's just private rented sector. And that is just getting more and more precarious because even though we were in the same place for 14 years, mm. if we had have been asked to leave, we probably wouldn't have been able to stay in the city, basically, because rents had gone up so much around us. Martin and Aga got talking with their neighbours and they realised they weren't the only ones in this situation. The children started to talk on over wall to each other, right? And this is how we met. And then we started to walk to school. To, and we spent so much time talking about our mental health and the mold. And they were in very stu- similar situations mm. to, situation to us. They, they couldn't see the way out. And the, the couple which we started to co-op with. So they decided to start a housing co-op or cooperative together. At this point, we should probably explain what a co-op is. Bottom line is, being a co-op allows us to do things collectively that we couldn't do individually. As individuals, we weren't able to get a mortgage, but registering as a co-op, you become a legal entity, and that means that the legal entity can then, um, it's registered with the Financial Services Authority, and that allows you to take out a commercial mortgage. We collectively own the buildings, we collectively own the debt, we're collectively responsible for the debt, we are the landlords and the tenants. Members can come and go, but the organisation will carry on. It will carry on providing affordable housing. It will carry on you know, paying the lease on the land. Now, we are a form of co-op, and there are other forms of co-ops. Our housing is all about affordable rent. So we self-build housing that will be um, rented to our members um, at affordable rates in perpetuity. Um, so it's, it's a rental model, essentially, right? So we're kind of, what we're doing is we're essentially self-building our own social housing. We've made an animation to accompany this podcast, which explains a bit more about what a co-op is and how they work. You can find the link on our social media channels and in the show description. I think that for me, I definitely felt like that co-ops were a certain type of person, do you know what I mean? And And I was completely wrong about that it's just not known that there is another there is another way there is you know there is there's an old there's something else other than private rent or owning your own house and yeah. it's, it was amazing because people's eyes light up you know we're all so many of us in the same situation co-ops have a long history in the uk they were actually founded in the northwest of the country during the industrial revolution the first co-op was set up in rochdale and were known as the rochdale pioneers The pioneers weren't a housing co-op though. They were formed to provide better quality porridge for local workers. In Europe, housing cooperatives have become much more popular than they are in the UK. You know, I, I, when I was growing up in Poland, there were massive, uh, like, uh, association, housing associations, big co-ops as well. Like, there is kind of difficult how to um, translate it, but people live their lives, but not owning houses. You could live there as long as you needed it until you died and sometimes you could your children could move in but it was not like someone owned it people from different backgrounds different class were all together you know they were like directors doctors workers i don't know whoever and it was single moms Mm. and it it, we just all worked together 
Brighton actually has a relatively high number of co-ops. The bigger picture is there's a history of co-ops in Brighton, quite a big history of co-ops in Brighton. There are over 25 co-ops, different co-ops, and they range from quite big ones with multiple properties and quite big buildings down to just single households where, where people have chosen to buy a house and live together cooperatively. A lot of the co-ops are designed for single people. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are co-ops in, mm. in the city that are have family homes, but people don't leave. They just generally tend to stay there. There were very, very few vacancies at all. So they couldn't find a co-op to join. So Martin Agra and their neighbours just decided to start their own. The challenge that they set themselves when they started their own co-op is they also wanted to build their own homes from scratch. So my name's Raphael. Um, I'm an architect and I've been working with Bunker for around seven years. Bunker is the name for their co-op, which started with just two homes, one for Martin and Agar and one for their neighbours. In building generally in the UK or probably anywhere in the world, you know, it's very difficult to get anyone to do something that's unconventional because it's, you know, it's perceived to be expensive. It usually is expensive, but it's also difficult to, to find somebody who's willing to do it. What's incredible about working in this environment is we could just keep gently pushing. Yeah, we could build it with breeze blocks, but we could build it with CLT. CLT stands for cross-laminated timber. It's a way of building where small strips of timber are glued together to create a larger structure without needing to fell large trees. Individual walls, ceilings and floors are all assembled in a factory and then brought to the site and bolted together. Think of a massive IKEA flat pack. Developers, house builders, planners, perhaps even people buying a house are sort of hardwired into a way of doing things. You know, we've been able to sort of step out a lot of, out of a lot of those rules and boxes that otherwise just get applied, you know, and it doesn't matter how much you say, surely it would be interesting to do something interesting. <laughs> it just doesn't work usually. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so basically the homes are super eco. They, you know, they, they are made of cross-laminated timber. They're super insulated with wood fiber insulation, natural line render. They're super insulated under the floor. Then there's an eco-crete screed. We've got, you know, wooden floors, wooden walls, wooden windows, triple glazed wooden windows, solar panels on both the pop-ups up top um, that heat the water, basically. So yeah, I mean, they're really high quality and they're quite innovative. They're a bit of an experiment. But good design is about more than being eco. It's about creating spaces that are a joy to live in. And Martin Agra and their neighbours have created two amazing family homes. From the moment you step through the front doors, you're surrounded by warm timber and lots of natural daylight. They kind of feel like a modern log cabin in the middle of the city. And they've got these big flexible living spaces and lots of integrated storage to display their possessions. You can see as their life and their family develops, the houses will grow with them or they could be adapted by other families if Martin and Aga choose to move on. If you want to see this for yourself, check out the video that accompanies this podcast or any of the photos on our channels. It's good architecture, right? Done well. And the materials are amazing and each home has its uh, little bit of private outside space and some communal outside space and everyone has their own front door. They've got high ceilings, they've got big windows and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of a... And really, we wanted a livable space. So this all sounds great in theory, but if it was that easy, wouldn't more people be doing it? Well, in reality, it is really hard work and it can take a long time. It's a marathon, not a sprint, it's a that's for a sure. Marathon, yeah, <laughs> like it's not like roses and butterflies. It's not going to be a quick process. There's no quick way of doing it. There's no 
you know, you, okay, you can think of a name overnight, right? But there's processes you have to go through and they do take time. Development is slow. All housing development takes ages because there's that processes. No, all your same hoops, so you know, you have to jump through. You've got to find the land. You've got to have the group. You've got to find the money. You've got to find the build. You've got to find the architect. You have to be prepared. I mean, people said to us, it was going to take us like seven years, right? Mm. Okay, and it took us five. But from the very first conception to, to actually moving in was yeah. five years. And using a building system that's rare in the UK did make the process more challenging. It was great to be able to look at doing things innovatively and we, you know, you can get kind of wrapped up in that, right? Oh, we could do it this way and we could do it that way. But then there are, there are when you, you slam up against a system that isn't, isn't, let's say it speak, speaks a lot about using modern methods of construction. That's great. You know, it's, it's a kind of buzz thing that's going around. But actually, when you come to trying to do something, then you... It's not easy. And then you've got the kind of builders as well who are like, oh, what? You know, they're used to doing stuff, right? And it's like, we want to do it like this. How do they, how do they price for it? You know, it's, it's that kind of thing as well. I mean, it, it requires enthusiasm and creativity on everyone's part and people to come along for the journey. And the financial side isn't that straightforward either. Three times we shoot ourselves in the foot three times. Firstly, because we don't build the cheapest way possible. Secondly, because we basically want to pay low rent, right? <laughs> so, you know, we want the rents to be affordable for it everyone that lives here. So yes, for low-income families. Yeah. yeah, but then, so what was the third one? I can't remember now. But basically what it means is that the only income we have is our rent, so we've got less income. So the making the, buy, making the model work is, is quite a thing. So we didn't have any equity as a group, so we needed to find 100% of the money that it takes to get from having you know, a piece of land to having some finished houses. There is uh, long-term lending available, so we have a mortgage with Ecology Building Society. I think it's something that like Nationwide and other um, mortgage lenders are looking into, but at the moment, the field is, is quite small. So we know it takes ages, the finances can be hard to get sorted, and at the end of it all, you can have a home that you can't directly sell. So why bother? Well, Martin and Aga think the results are definitely worth it. Okay, people said the same thing. Why would you do all that work if you're not going to make any money yeah, out of it, right? Very often. But it's not, people don't, you know, ownership is not just about making money, is it? And, and also, it's kind of supposed to confer on you all of these things, which is this feeling of home, of safety, of security, of belonging, of, 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 of not feeling that someone could come and take it away from you at any point, right? And I think all of those things, we have those more in, in, in a co-op. Because I, you know, okay, I've never owned a property myself, but my, my family does, my friends do. And until you make that last payment on your mortgage, it's not yours, right? You're basically renting it from a bank who, who gives it, you know, and at any moment you can lose it. I very often are asked, oh yeah, but what are you gonna give to your children, to, to your daughter, you know? It's difficult times and this and this, you know. And I said, well, we don't know. Yet I kind of feel like I don't know what's going to be the future when my grown, when my daughter is grown up. But I kind of feel like she has seen her parents going through this, through this process, being in this situation, uh, which was very difficult, and finding some solution, you know. And I think like this is I, I gave her something instead. Like I gave her the idea that if she feels that she needs to change things, she can find people which feel as well, there is something, let's do it, and as well, let's do it together. Generally, we wanted um, the co-op to be a place where the rents were low so that it 
allowed people to not be burdened, you know, with having to hand over the majority of their pay packet to pay the rent that went to a private landlord, but also so that it's a safe place where you can make decisions about what you want to do with your life, right? Do you want to go into education? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And, you know, co-ops that have been going for a long time, there is a lot of evidence of people doing that, you know, going back into making a, making a life change, doing something else, becoming yeah. self-employed or whatever, because you're not, you, you don't have that kind of hanging over your head that you are, you know, you have to pay your mortgage or, you know, you're going to lose your home, right? Remember Amy and Yelena? They're both members of Bunker, helping to spread the word about housing co-ops and hoping to move into a bunker house in the near future. Like in a co-op, you do it for others or for the future, you know, even the houses, they're hopefully still going to be here when we are long gone, you know, so or our children are going to maybe live in them and that, you know, it's, yeah. So one of the things I think is really important about cooperative housing is that kind of like legacy aspect because often like buying a house is like really important to people for that reason like it's something that they can leave to their kids um, and although we're not going to leave kind of like to our individual families kind of money or like a particular building we are going to leave to people who live in Brighton like future generations including you know our kids that um, yeah somewhere that they can afford to live and that they can stay. We're building something that's going to outlive all of us which is really nice. It's also changed the relationship with the wider city. I We walk the city looking for the sites. I know the city so well now. I, I Even now you know like walking thinking how the city could give to the citizens. Going through that process of kind of making that thing from the ground up and engaging with the city, that kind of gives you a sense of belonging and a sense of ownership over the city and over the area and over the place that you are. Like, we can stay here, like we can be here now, we can stay and live and work and play in the place that we want to, we've chosen to be here, you know. And in a way, they've managed to reclaim a piece of Brighton for their community. We got back a little bit of city, which could be, like if council couldn't build here, they would probably sell it and, um, no, we kept it. If they're kind of designed with the community of people who are going to live there and with the consent or sometimes involvement of the people who live in that neighbourhood as well, it's basically, it's not something that's done for us, it's something that's done by us. It's not exactly a privatised solution, it's something else, you know, it's, it's kind of, it can never be sold, it's for the city, will always be for the people that live in the city. We wanted to show that high quality housing is not just for people who have, you know, it's not just about grand designs, that actually it should be accessible and affordable for everyone, you know. People healthy should, housing. Healthy housing everyone. should be for everyone, you know, and actually it is achievable and you don't have to own it, it's just there. Yeah. But if all social housing, if all housing full stop was built more like this, it would change people's lives, you know. It Absolutely. Would not just, but health, mental health, yeah. everything, you know. Uh, and I think yes. COVID has yeah. hammered that home, yeah. hasn't it? But yeah. also, cost of living crisis, all of that stuff, yeah. you know. It's like architecture, it like affects us so deeply, right? And it's that, how it sits, how we are living it, how, how it feels to live in it, right? What is home, house, and this is home. If you want to find out more about co-ops, there are plenty of resources out there and lots of people willing to share advice. We've included some links in the episode description.
This has been our first episode, but we want to make more, and you can help with that. To make more episodes, we need sponsors or funders, and to do that, we need to show that people want to hear more. So please let us know what you thought. We're on an array of social media platforms, and the links are all in the description. And please share your stories with us. What is a home to you? We want to hear stories about the places that you live, the way that they work, and the way that they are designed. Let's start that conversation.